Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. This is episode 46 of the pod, and it is another edition of the American Athletic Conference. And that means it's Joe Talk. That's me, Joe Serpico, and on the other line, it's Joey Brobeck. Joey, say what's up, my man. Hello, how are we doing? We got a lot to talk about. Lots and lots to talk about. It was an exciting weekend for AAC fans, and that didn't last long after these college football playoff rankings tonight. Don't understand what they're doing. Um, with this show, uh, last show we had Nick on from the site, and he comes from USF. Now we're going to go on the other side. Since UCF won, we're going to bring on that side of the show. We're going to bring on Chaz Short. Say hello to everybody. Hey, guys. How are you? Thank thank you for having me on. No, we're excited to have you on. How long have you been with the site now? Because I know you've been there before me. So I've been writing for the site since the 2014 season towards the tail end of it, which I think makes me an old-timer. Um, so I've gotten to you know, write about a, a horrible, winless 2015 season for UCF and you know, a better season in 2016, and now... You know, when we're just rolling along with our best regular season in school history. So it's, it's been a fun trip. Yeah, I mean, you kind of just asked my own question I was just about to ask you there. What has it been like to witness this change since Scott Frost has taken over? You know, it's just been so fun. It's obviously a very different style of offense from the George O'Leary era, which was more pro style. Um, and it's just been great to see, you know, the extra level of excitement surrounding the program. And, you know, the things off the field have been wonderful as well. The emphasis that UCF is putting into, you know, some of the great uniform uh, variations. There's been a lot of fun going on. There's a lot of energy around the program. So it's been fun to write about this team the past couple of years under Frost. Like you mentioned, this year has been very exciting. I mean, just even as not, a, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of UCF coming in. Um, seeing them with their undefeated season, the excitement from last week, which we'll get into, has been fun to watch. But as we mentioned earlier and we've talked about in the past, the college football playoff committee hasn't been very favorable to at all this season, what what is kind of the reaction down there to how the rankings have been shaping up? You know, I, I think most UCF fans are are kind of out of their minds like this, and they have a right to be uh, because when you're shredding teams like the Knights have been, I mean, look, you can only play the people on your schedule, and that's what UCF has done and is one of two unbeaten teams in the country and is scoring the most points per game of anyone in the country, and, and you just sort of throw up your hands because it feels like the committee has has kept the Knights and, you know, artificially low, and that they've done the same to, to Memphis, and USF can't even, you know, can't even crack the, the top 25, which is, you know, unfair in and of itself. I can't argue anything you just said there. I still don't understand what is going through the committee's minds. I think the three of us can definitely agree that 
that War on I-4 game was arguably the best game of the season. I can't think of any other game that was just so back and forth, especially that the way that ended with the kick return and the school, you know, the quick scores and things like that. And then if you really think about it, there was just so much on the line too. That's what I think made it so dramatic too. There's the fact that you know, UCF is this undefeated team and USF, you know, they had all the hype coming with them coming into the season. Winner goes in the championship game and it seems like it didn't matter. Like one spot. Other teams are jumping all over the place, and they only get one spot. So, again, it kind of just brings me back to just just say G5 teams have no shot. Just take them out of the rankings whatsoever. I think you're exactly right, because what the committee seems to be saying is, you know, athletic directors, you've got to be, you know, totally prescient. You have to have scheduled games, you know, five years in the past to play today and you've got to have been right about what uh, power five teams you're playing are, are good. It's just a completely impossible situation. And you take a look at USF who this year was supposed to play Wisconsin and boy, would that have helped the resume for them uh, if that game had been on the schedule, because I think they would have won it at least if Flowers plays the kind of game like he did last week. You know, but Wisconsin pushed that game off, I think, till 2020 um, under their contract. So so what's a G5 team to do? You know what I mean? Yeah, you have, like, teams like Houston last year who beat Oklahoma, and so I think that kind of scares away Power 5 programs, which, right or wrong, I think that's just kind of why it's happening, but... Like you mentioned, Chaz, like how are these teams supposed to, what are they supposed to do if they're beating the teams on their schedule? No Power 5 team wants to to schedule them in the first place. And I know one thing we talked about in the past is this Power 6 movement, so I kind of want to get your thoughts on that. And also, if, if we're not going to get, or I guess if the American Athletic Conference isn't going to get the recognition deserves, is what Joe wants in a G5 PEP a realistic possibility? How do you imagine that, you know, that a G5 playoff going, Joe? What would be your, your dream scenario for that? I mean, honestly, I feel like you just gotta play it the same way the FCS is doing it. Why, and I, that's what been my argument this whole time. Why can't the G5 at this point just do, do their own thing? FCS is technically still Division One, right? At this point, we might as well say the G5 teams are Division One with their own their own brand of football, so they should get their own tournament just like the other guys do. And if you're going to go as far as like breaking it down, I think the obvious is you know you have every G5 conference winner, and then I mean I guess really you're going to go I guess you got to go with selection committee in this one too, and then you know you have your five teams, and then you make it I guess an 18 playoff, you find your next best three. If you're thinking about it this year, you know, if you were to go through the, the eight teams this year, you would probably have three teams in the American if you're do, well, based on these rankings now, Fresno would be ahead. And that's another thing I don't understand why Fresno is three loss Fresno is ahead of a two loss USF team. It's just one of those, the whole playoff rankings committee, I don't understand what they're, it's like they have an agenda to make sure the American teams have no shot because they know if they rank those teams any higher, you know, they got to keep bumping UCF up even more. See, I've, I've been thinking it's just a matter of the committee 
you know, with their their own biases as as we all have, and, and simply not watching or paying enough attention to the games and lacking a G five voice. But when I see a Fresno State at twenty five, I react like you do. And, and look, Fresno State's a fine team. But to put them at 25 and leave off USF, you know, makes me feel, uh, you know, a little conspiracy minded. You know, is, is that to fluff up, you know, your number five, uh, Alabama? It certainly feels like that to me. That's, that's the argument that's, that it keeps coming to my mind now. It's just now that these rankings, I mean, four lost Mississippi State team isn't ranked in the top 25. Why? I mean, I'm, I feel like every week now I'm bashing Mississippi State, but every week they just get worse and worse, and somehow they still are hanging around. I feel like if it was Memphis that lost the game, they'd have been long gone, dropped out of the playoff or the rankings a long time ago. But just because they're in the SEC and they need those points for uh, Alabama team that really doesn't have any quality wins, I feel like that's the only reason why Mississippi State's in there. Well, I'll, I'll just chime in with the USF conversation, and I get that they have two losses, but, like, <laughs> and we've been kind of harping on this every week, but who's their best win? That's that's what's killing them right now. That's why they're not in the top 25, is they don't have a good win. They have to play teams in Houston and UCF, but they lost. So, like, you can't put a team in because they had a good loss against UCF, and then their best win is, at, like, annoying? I don't know. Who's their best win? That's my question. Joey, it seems like half the teams here are here because they've got quality losses. Maybe that's, my that's true. Would be doing a little better if they had quality <laughs> loss. I, quality that's loss. the new barometer, apparently. It doesn't matter if you win games. It depends whether you have a quality loss now. Like I feel like that's where we're ranking ourselves on now. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. But look... <laughs> Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. If you look at USF's schedule, it is so bad. That's the only reason why they're not in there. And they're the exception, but, like, their schedule is so bad. Yeah, but, Fre- okay, Fresno State's out-of-conference schedule. Has anybody seen it? I haven't looked at it. I'm looking at it right now. Okay, their first game of the year was against Incarnate Ward. They won 66 to nothing. <laughs> All right? Now, okay, I'll give them credit. Their next two out-of-conference games, they did – then that's the difference. They scheduled solid competition. They played Alabama. They lost 41 to 10. They got their ass kicked. Let's just put it, let's be nice. Then the following week, they played Washington. They lost 48 to 16. Another beatdown. Again, are we giving them, are those quality losses then? Is that why that they're sitting in there in the top 25? Because again, it's just proof, it's just proving my point now because look what two teams are ahead of them. It's an Alabama team and a Washington team that are Guess what? They're ranked ahead of UCF. So it really, it's, it's like almost again that Fresno is in there to help out Alabama. But I'm, for, actually, Fres- you know what? now I'm just starting to put this out there to just, maybe there's a whole conspiracy against the G5 to put Alabama back in or something. I don't know. I don't get how Alabama's five, but you know, that's another conversation for another day. Yes. <laughs> we don't do that on this show. Ah, man. Basically, UCF's getting screwed. I think USF doesn't deserve to be ranked, but, you know, whatever. Who cares? It's not, the committee doesn't care what I think. I mean, even though, okay, there's nothing about the Mountain West that, like, makes me think that they're better than the AAC right now. Comparing Fresno State and USF, Fresno State beat San Diego State and Boise State, which are, those two wins are better than all nine of USF's wins. 
Fresno State beat San Jose State twenty-seven to ten. That was San Diego we, State. Sorry. No, 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 you're, no, you were right. You were right about San okay. Diego State. But I'm saying San, there's they beat San. So like to do the common opponent thing here, mm-hmm. San Jose State. Even like we harped on this all year long, how slow the USF came out of the gate in that game. They still won by more than seventeen points. Like once they turned it on, they turned it on. And so okay, so they barely beat they beat BYU by a touchdown. They beat a horrible Hawaii team by ten points. They're I would argue that their quality win is Fresno. Or excuse me, a Boise this past weekend. Who they have to play again this week. And who they have to play again again this week, exactly. <sighs> Stupid. So it's just like one of those things. I don't understand. What else does the American got to do? It's like I keep saying now. They're. It's almost like they're trying to help out the other conferences by putting Fresno in there. Yeah. It, beco- it becomes this vicious cycle in both directions because in one it's hey if if Fresno State is twenty five now that's a good team helping Alabama's strength of schedule. And, you know, if if USF isn't ranked, then, oh, well, UCF merely took a seven-point sloppy win over a not-very-good team. You know, it becomes these endlessly reinforcing, you know, cycles that aren't aren't really based in something objective. No, and I think Joey's been saying it perfectly. It's pretty obvious that they're just not watching. No, they're not. There's no way. I mean, how could you not watch that game on Friday and be like, damn, these are two pretty good football teams. It seems like they're getting knocked. It seems like, almost like Chad just said, just because they only won by seven points, they're getting knocked for it. Yeah, I don't don't get it. We can go into that game because I'm I'm, – that was – probably one of the most exciting college football games I've ever watched. And I went to the Houston-Oklahoma game last year, and that game was insane. So, Chaz, did you go to the game? And if, if But if, if you did, tell us about the atmosphere, and if not, tell us, like, what the vibe was down there. No, you know, I was, uh, I was glued to the TV for it, um, taking a break from some family stuff, but with other family around me, so that was great. Um, you know, the, the atmosphere was obviously looked beautiful and electric on television. Um, you know, I know countless people who went and commonality is everyone raved about, you know, what the crowd was like. Um, so, so, you know, that, that was wonderful. I think we presented, you know, the American Athletic Conference and UCF and USF, you know, put on as good of a show as you could and in an, an electric atmosphere um, as good as you could want in that time slot and um, you know the sort of, it sort of boosts the Americans um, you know uh, prestige maybe a little or at least the attention you know to see this kind of serious atmosphere I think the one thing that's to- you can usually like when you when you watch it on TV and you watch games that are are exciting and the atmosphere is is very thrilling. Like you can't really gauge the crowd noise on a TV. But when I was watching it, I I could tell it was so loud there. And I think that's one thing that I really enjoyed was 
usually you can't tell that on a TV, and if, but if you're at the stadium, you can feel the noise. But like on TV, you could feel how much it meant to the fans. Oh yeah, undoubtedly. As, I, 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 I get go ahead. I get a question for you guys. As you know, you you come at it from a you know an AAC, but a non UCF and a non USF orientation. So, so, what do you think this did for the conference and for the eyeballs on the conference? This game or this season? It, I, I mean, I meant this game, but if you want to take it to mean this season more generally, go for it. I mean, I feel like we've been building up this game, and it should have been, because obviously everything that we thought would be the implications at this point, it turned out to be that way. Now, I'd probably argue that when the season started, we probably thought it might have been flipped, that maybe that UCF was the one-loss team and and USF was the uh, undefeated team. But, hey, this is the way it turned out. And uh, it's one of those things where I thought – this, that game, just the way it ended, again, all the implications it had, uh, it drew great ratings for ABC, apparently, as well. It had uh, everything I said earlier, the dramatic comeback uh, score, the, the kickoff there. It had everything you need to make, be like, hey, this is not only just the game for the AAC, AAC for the year, but for the whole season. And again, I guess it's just the, the rankings just... Maybe I'm just putting too much harp on what the rankings have done because it doesn't seem that like those people care. But I thought that that game should have been way more than it's apparently turning out to be. Yeah, I agree with with everything that Joe said. I, it was I don't yeah it was I think it was the the standard that this conference needs to see in terms of conference play because we we saw how good these teams can be and how good a matchup it was. And I think this weekend's game could be just as exciting to watch. And that's, I think that's kind of where with this power six movement is where games need to go because the biggest knock right now for the AAC is attendance. And I think obviously every team can relate to that, but you saw, I mean, everybody saw that, attendance at the UCF USF game like it was packed and I think it gave them exposure that they needed so I think when people were arguing that it shouldn't have been at the afternoon slot I think it was perfect because that was the only game that people were tuned into and like everybody was watching it so I think it was great exposure for this conference to your point about attendance I think that this is the kind of game that does a lot to help uh, what's already, you know, a fierce rivalry sort of grow more and mature more and become one of those great rivalry game stories. And I think that's something that's going to help the attendance, uh, you know, conference-wide as we continue to build and continue to, to develop these rivalries, you know, as the conference grows and as some of these teams who, you know, haven't been in, in the same conference together, uh, before, you know, we sort of build those histories together. I, I think that's the kind of heat that bad passion that brings fans to the stadium. That and of course, you know, high stakes. And when they come together, it's a beautiful thing. 
Now, you actually live down there in Florida, so you could tell us the truth about this. This season, are those two teams arguably, like as far as rivalry games, has been the rest, the best one in Florida this year? Oh, oh, uh, undoubtedly. I mean, you know, poor, uh, though, though I will tell you that the UM FSU game had a heck of an ending. But, you know, poor, poor UF and FSU were, were just, were just playing to see who's less horrible. And the answer is, of course, FSU is less horrible than the Gators this year. Uh, you know that we had a pretty good Shula Bowl down in Conference USA, right? With FAU and FIU, mm-hmm. who are having really good seasons. Um, I, are, are those both historically good seasons for them? I, I think they are. Uh, for FAU, it is for sure. I'm not sure about FIU. I, I believe for FIU also. Uh, but but yeah, it's sort of funny down here how the uh, you know ex- excitement this year has has shifted. Um, you know, to, to these group of five Florida teams and, and there's a lot more buzz. It's been a, a wonderful thing. I just want to ask you the same question that we kind of asked Nick last week. Yes. Uh, we, we kind of joked that this game this past weekend between, uh, USF and US or DF would, could potentially be the game that the winner takes over the Florida job. Do you see that as a possibility? Obviously, as a as a UCF guy, you don't want to see Scott Frost go. But and then there's also all these rumors of Nebraska circulating as of late. But do you see that as a, a potential possibility, or is that just all spoken and uh, roast at this point? So, so the Florida job's now been filled with Mississippi State's. Oh yeah, that's right. What am I saying? That is right. That did get filled today. But, what am I saying? But your broader point is that yes, I believed that Florida was going to be the bigger threat um, to hire Scott Frost, and I was surprised when. That turned out not to be the case. There were all of these reports of, you know, Florida representatives coming down to meet with Scott Frost and asked about it after the game, you know, whether his representatives were going to do that. He said, and I'll paraphrase slightly because I'm not sure I've got the quote exactly right. I'm my representative and I'm going to be at home with my wife and new baby. I do remember him saying that. So, um, you know, I, I it, now the threat to where will Scott Frost be seems to just be Nebraska. That's what I think. I think it's either stay or go to Nebraska. I think that's really left at this point, right? None of the other jobs are really that enticing, I would think. If if you didn't take Florida, you're not you're not jumping at any of these other options. So for him, it's going to be stay or Nebraska. I think a lot of UCF fans are sort of a- agonized about that and, and fear the backslide. Um, maybe I'm an optimist, but I- I'm really not stressed about it. Obviously, I would love to keep the guy. I think he's the next Urban Meyer level without the personality issues kind of coach. Um, I'm, I'm 100% a believer. Um, but, but look, this, this whole, you know, we won big under George O'Leary in 2013 with that Fiesta Bowl. It wasn't too many years ago, you know, but I hope that the Knights get there 
you know, to a new year six this year with the, you know, following a win over Memphis in the conference championship. And then we'd have hit those heights, um, with two different coaches in a short span. What that tells me is that what UCF has going on is sustainable and there's no reason to sort of, you know, fear a backslide. All programs will have their ups and downs and, you know, you, you might have a little chaos after a coaching change. But I've got a lot of security um, in where this program is overall. I got nothing else for that. You got nothing else? All right. I guess now we could just move on to the game that's ahead, and that is the AAC Championship game. So obviously it's Saturday. It is a noon kickoff. UCF is a seven-point favorite. Question that I have written down here, which I wanted to – ask you guys is I know some of the other conferences follow the same way that the American does but then there's other conferences that play their championship game on a neutral site obviously this game is being played at UCF because of the fact that they have the better record I remember that was the case last year when I went I've told you guys before I live in Maryland so I went to the Navy Temple championship game and it was just honestly, it was weird to me that I was going to basically a home game for a Navy in a championship game. You would feel like that that should be a neutral thing. Um, just let me know what you guys think about that. I think it, I think it's fine right now because obviously you can't do anything about it now. But I think I like I just like the idea of playing at a neutral site. I think it really shows who's the better team. You take away home field advantage. And you're just playing football, and you don't have to worry about, you know, fan noise or stuff. I mean, obviously fans will show up, but you don't have to worry about home field advantage and stuff like that. And it just determines who's actually the better team. I'll take a different perspective from you, Joey. I, I love, I love uh, it being on someone's home field, and it's for the the um, the issue that you put your finger on a little bit earlier about attendance. You know, I, I love doing anything we can to help attendance. And look, you make it, it's going to be very accessible for at least one of the fan bases um, uh, under the current arrangement. And I also think it's a nice reward, <laughs> excuse me, and further benefit to the team that, you know, did well, um, you know, in, in conference play and gets to hopes, you know, and it feels meaningful from that perspective too. But you're, but you're right, of course, you know, it, it's perhaps slightly less of a true contest because it's not on a neutral field. Uh, to me, the positives, uh, outweigh that. Yeah, I, I agree with your point. I think in terms of attendance, I really, I really like that. Uh, I think, yeah, like you said, bringing, the game to one of the teams will make the obviously more fans will show up whereas having it at a neutral site will obviously probably limit attendance um, but yeah I mean yeah there's not really a wrong way to do it I think if you're having like a debate it might people you know say that UCF wins again a team like Memphis, I don't know, will their fans say, oh, well, it's only because UCF was the home team. I don't want to obviously get into that, but I think eventually a neutral site will be the way to go, but I obviously think that hinges on where this conference goes in terms of this Power 6 movement. 
Yeah, see, I, I think Chaz brought up a good point how you, know, you put it on a neutral site, you really don't know what you're going to get in terms of attendance. And then at the same time, I know this is something we have very little talked about, but it's also just the distance of some of these schools in the conference too. So it's more of like, where do you put this neutral site? Uh, you've got an SMU team down there in Texas, and you've got a team up in Yukon. So it's like, where do you put this middle thing? And then, you know, to bring it back to what, which has it, then how do you get the fans to show up? Say you play the game, say in the end of the day, and just, I'm not picking Memphis because they're in it, but that seems to be like a spot in the middle almost kind of thing. Say it wasn't Memphis in this game right now. Let's just say it was SMU. Are SMU fans going to travel up to Memphis or are UF fans going to travel up to Memphis? So I I can't not argue with you guys said. I just also agree with a little bit with Joey said of the fact that it almost feels like that some team gets a, a bigger advantage than the other. But let's let's really dive into the actual game. Uh, and the rematch, the first game, I think we didn't really see that coming. And I think Memphis really just had a really bad game. And I think they've got a lot to prove in this game. These are two high-scoring teams. I don't know what the over is because I forgot to look before we got on the show. But whatever it is, take it. It could be 100, I would say. Take it. I have the two guys. Jazz is the UCF guy. Joey, you've done a lot of the Memphis stuff this year. Tell me what you guys think of this game. This is your guys' game. Go ahead, Jazz. So, you know, I have kind of mixed feelings. Because in my heart, I'm nervous about this one for my nights. Uh, on the other hand, intellectually, I feel pretty secure. I would tend to think a 10-point UCF win in a high-scoring game. Um, and so I, I get there by looking at, one, these teams have already played, uh, also on UCF's field. And that was a dominant win. Um by UCF. Now, I certainly don't expect Memphis to play as poorly um, as they did in that game. I'm expecting it to be closer. I think it was. I think Ferguson threw what three interceptions and had a fumble, and the Knights played turnover. I don't think turnover free, but turnover minimal, as they often do. And that was to UCF's tremendous benefit. Um, I, I think another thing, and I, I hope that Joey goes into this because I know the UCF fans are are curious about this. It does seem to be a better Memphis team, especially uh, on defense, than perhaps they were in September. Um, but I don't think it's a difference that's big enough to make up the gap based on what we saw the last time these two teams played. You know, and it actually should have been even less close last time because Memphis kept Ferguson in until the end of the game, and on the last play he chucked a touchdown pass against the backups. So it should have been an even more substantial, or not should have, but it could have been an even more substantial UCF win. So I see the gap as closing, but not as close, not closing enough um, for Memphis to take it. So that's my nutshell view of the game. I think if 
if UCF wasn't getting screwed over by the committee, I would want UCF to win this game just because it would be make a stronger case for the AAC and to get, you know, into we're talking about playoff talk. But since they're not going anywhere and the winner essentially of this game get your bowl game bid, um, you mentioned it before, I will dive into it, is Memphis defense has gotten so much better since the beginning of the year. They had a ton of injuries, which obviously you don't want to make excuses for your team, but Memphis had numerous injuries on the defensive side of the ball, and they had freshmen and sophomores playing and taking reps that, frankly, no one really expected them to, unless it was in cleanup time. So I think that's a big difference. I agree with you that the gap is going to be closed. I think Memphis has the ability to keep up with UCF in this one. Uh, the over, I think the over, let's see, it's 82 and a half, Joe, just so you know. Um, but I don't think, like, like you mentioned too, Riley Ferguson's not going to play that bad again. Memphis' offense isn't going to struggle like they did in that game. So I think it's a completely different game. I honestly could see either team winning just because of those improvements. Memphis offense has been unstoppable the last month. And like you, like you mentioned before, the defense has gotten a lot better. So I think that makes a huge difference. Another thing that I will bring up is UCF's been kind of going on this not roller coaster journey, but it's been a very emotional journey, especially the last couple weeks and even the last game. So I don't know how much that's going to take a toll on them. Obviously, Chaz would know you would know better than I would how things might go that way. But when you play an emotional game, it tends to take a toll on a team, and I don't know how much that'll affect them this week, especially since it's a conference championship game. But Memphis really has nothing to lose. They've already lost to them once, and I don't think many people are giving them a chance to win it. So I think that works in their favor as well. And it's not like they haven't traveled to UCF before. They obviously went to UCF at the game in September, so it's not like they have to adjust to the atmosphere at all. It might be a little bit louder than the previous game, but... I don't think there's that much that they need to adjust to, and I think Memphis has a legitimate shot of winning this one. Oh, I agree with you. They they definitely have a legitimate, plausible shot. I, I, I you know, un, unfortunately, it wouldn't be a shock to me if Memphis did um, did pull out the win here. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's totally legitimate. It's a totally legitimate outcome. I know, Joey. Um, you know, I. I'll sort of put it back on you. Can you orient, because I think we'll get a, a bunch of UCF fans listening to this, at least I hope we will. Can you sort of orient us to some of those players who are either healthy again on defense for Memphis or who are the young guys who have stepped up as the season has worn on uh, that we might want to be focused on? Yeah, I think the biggest name that you'll need to know that, well, one, a couple of guys that aren't young guys, they've been around and they've, they're having good seasons and they've been healthy. The first one is Jannard Avery, linebacker, who has eight and a half, 18 and a half tackles for loss. 
he's he makes plays all over the field and is definitely someone that that UCF needs to pay attention to. Uh, their safety, Jonathan Cook, who is an Alabama transfer. Um, not that we care about Alabama, but just figured to mention that anyways. He's the leader of their secondary. So those are two guys that are veterans that have had good years and they've kind of helped the transition for some of these younger guys. Two guys that I'll mention that are young, all who plays, I believe it's a star position, which is kind of like they have a couple hybrid positions between like defensive end, linebacker, and then linebacker. He, um, but so he plays the star. He's been having, he's their leading tackler and he's been having a great year as a sophomore. And then there's TJ Carter, who's a corner who I think will probably be matched up with Traquan Smith most of the day, most of the game. So that's another name that they should be aware of. He's been having a really good year, especially in the second half of the season. And yeah, I, there's, I mean, there's a handful of other guys that are young. You look at, uh, Tito Windham, uh, Bryce Huff, other people like that. They've, there's plenty of guys to go around. Still a young team, so we've seen some of those youthful mistakes and we could definitely see them on Saturday, but I think they've, because they've gotten that experience so early in the season that now it's becoming more experienced and they're almost, not veterans, but they're, they've, you know, tested the waters and now the defensive coordinator, whose name escapes me at the moment, um, can do more things with these kids because they know the system and they know what's at stake. And now that there's not going to be experience, that's too big for them. It, it's sort of an interesting common element um, with Memphis being sort of an evolved team as the season has worn on, because there's some of that with UCF too, though perhaps to a lesser extent as compared to Memphis. So the Knights have um, two freshmen who have been big playmakers in sort of the latter half of the season. You have Otis Anderson. He's nominally a wide receiver. He very often lines up as a running back. I, I would guess he lines up as, you know, without looking at the numbers, more often as a running back. Um, he's been extremely productive in the second half of the season also, Gabe Davis, um, recruited as a tight end. He's a wide receiver, big, good-sized guy, you know, has made some great catches, has had a couple of games near 100 yards. You know, those guys weren't much involved in the offense the last time these two teams played, and they are now. So it will be interesting to see, you know, how productive they are. Um, also, the Knights have Neville Clark uh, back uh, at quarter uh, opposite Mike Hughes. And while he's had some issues, including against USF when he had to get pulled for a bit, um, it's still a boost overall to the secondary. He was suspended for the first six games of the year for failing um, a, a drug test last year in advance of the Cure Bowl. So it'll be interesting to see how these two teams have evolved and, and how they now match up against each other. All right, just to jump in, the first thing I want to say is I've seen Otis as of late, and that kid is scary fast. 
Like watching him in that game against USF, I mean, I've never seen. I don't think I've ever seen somebody so fast on a field. But um, Adrian Killens would give him a run for his money. That dude can play too. too. Yeah, that dude can fly too. So this guy actually, so it's perfect. So this kind of brings me up to what I wanted to do. And since I have you two on the phone, so I'm going to do this thing here where let's play which side's better or who has the better whatever. Go and we're going to go by position. So. The obvious, so you got to start a quarterback, and this is why I want to do it because this is this is the debate here that I really want to have. Because you can make a case here, you're probably both going to make a case here. Who is the AAC Offensive Player of the Year? Because it's one of these two quarterbacks. I think it's push. Uh, I think Milton will win it. That's, whoa, whoa, whoa! That you can't give me a push. I'm gi- I'm giving it a push. If I had to pick offense player of the year, though, I'm I'm probably going to say Milton. But in this game, I would say that neither neither side has an advantage just because the two are. It's literally like one A and one B. Yeah, I I mean I I also want to go with the cop out of saying it's push. I absolutely love Mackenzie Milton. I love how fast he makes his decisions. I love how he operates the offense. I love how he plays, you know, so turnover free. Um, I'll give Milton the edge, um, not because of any lack of appreciation for Ferguson, uh, but, but I'm thinking of the last time these two teams met and the mistakes that Riley Ferguson made. And, And I give the edge to Milton here. I feel, um, I feel more secure. I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade Milton for Ferguson. How about that? I'll keep it the way it is. All right, I'll be the deciding factor here. You guys can read our uh, all conference teams next week, and you'll figure out who we guys think. We Ooh, cliffhanger! <laughs> I like it. You do like that, huh? All right, so just let's go because this is another one. This is, I think is going to be a good debate here too. These are two teams with. I would argue both have. Two guys that get really took the rock. We brought up Anderson and Killens on one side. Then there's Patrick Taylor and Daryl Henderson on the other side. These, all four of these guys are going to make an impact in this game. And if they don't, uh, whoever's team is, whichever one of these teams doesn't have both of their guys making an impact is probably going to be on the losing side. I'd give the edge to UCF. Memphis has been a little inconsistent at times running the ball, even with Henderson and Taylor in the backfield. There hasn't. There's been maybe one or two games where Henderson's gone off. Um, I mean, they're still very capable of breaking big runs, but I would definitely give the advantage to UCF. I, I'm sure Shaz agrees. I, I do agree, um, but but I'll try and be interesting and say that there's a potential flaw here for UCF, which is we have had some difficulty the past couple of games. And you saw this on Black Friday. We're having difficulty in the third and one, fourth and one kind of situations. Now we have some bigger running backs on the roster than uh, Adrian Killens and Otis Anderson, uh, but we didn't use them. We didn't use them against USF on, on these third and one kind of situations. I would have liked to see, you know, the the you know meaningfully bigger though he's not a bruiser, Taj McGowan, uh, come in for those and, and you know, try and fall forward for the, for the yard. You know what I mean? 
Um, I understand the rationale of needing to keep the defense honest. Um, but, you know, I, I would like to see us utilize McGowan more in those short yardage situations. All right, let's just keep it going. We'll go on to the next position. Wide receiver. In my eyes, Anthony Miller is best wide receiver in the conference. Uh, Cortland Sutton is obviously a close second. Trey Quinn, his teammate, not too far behind, too. But I just think that just Miller's year this year has been phenomenal. So I feel like that, I mean, just based on him alone, that Memphis has the better wide receiver. Yeah, Miller's a stud, obviously. Everybody knows that. But then you throw in players like Tony Pollard, Phil Mayhew, Joey Magnifico. You know, there's, they've been getting more and more players involved as the season's gone on. Sean Dykes, Pop Williams. So I think I would give the edge to Memphis here. And also just because they, they do pass more. Uh, and I, I don't know, I, I like, what UCF brings to the table, Traquan Smith. I mean, UCF has some fast dudes, and Traquan Smith is just another guy that's a blazer. And so they do have some guys that can beat you, then they have size with, like, Jordan Akins, but I think Memphis gets the edge here. You know, Miller's obviously a, a celestial talent. I mean, the guy's incredible. And, um, you know, I, I don't think... The UCF wide receivers are, are any slouches far from it. Uh, I love those guys. You know, you've got Traquan Smith, you know, whom, whom we've mentioned. You know, one of, one of the things I like about him is he's got tremendous effort. He's not, you know, he's got great stats, but it's not, you know, here is a guy who is constantly blocking and springing people for big plays. He just works so hard. And we've got all of these great young guys, um, you know, Gabe Davis, whom we've mentioned earlier, Otis Anderson when he's used in a pass-catching role, uh, Dredericks Nelson, who's been so good um, in uh, several games, including two touchdowns against USF. You know, I'll, I'll try and even it out. I'm so tempted to just say, give me my nights, but let's say, I'll give this one to Memphis. They'll have a slight edge in the wide receiver department. Do we even bother to go through the O-line? Because I'm terrible with O-linemen. I mean, I think both sides have, they definitely have good talent on, they they both obviously can, I mean, you're, you can't be explosive without a good offensive line, and both teams possess that. Obviously, US, UCF runs the ball very well, and you can't run the ball well without a good O-line, so I think we'd be kind of... I, I think it would be wrong to ignore that. Uh, but Memphis also has a solid line, because you have players like Drew Kaiser and Gabe Kuhn and Trayvon Tate who are who are solid and are obviously a big reason why Darrell Henderson and Patrick Taylor are able to run the ball and reasons why Ferguson's able to pass. But on the same side, or excuse me, on the other side, you, you know, UCF's been able to have on it, it'd be almost wrong to not give credit to guys up front who are doing most of that work. Uh, I haven't had 
all that much opportunity to scrutinize Memphis's offensive line, but you know, I, I will say that back in September, UCF was successful in pressuring Ferguson and sacked him a couple of times as well. So, you know, as maybe as between UCF, uh, front seven versus Memphis O-line, I like UCF's front seven. That might be my observation there. Yeah, I guess we were just going to take it there next. I, I mean, the, I think we're all in agreement talent wise. I think UCF might have the better defense, at least the front seven that you just talked about. Just because, I mean, it also helps out of the fact that they get a lot of those Florida boys who are just freak athletes, I feel like. But then, I mean, just some of the names that stick out to me on that defense. I mean, Griffin is obviously the reigning defensive player of the year in the conference. Penn's another name that's probably going to get a lot of attention. You talked about uh, Hughes a little bit earlier. So I, I feel like that this is a team... Who on that side of the ball, they might have a little bit of an advantage because talent-wise, you know, they are better. I mean, I know Joey brought up a lot of the fact that Memphis' defense is getting better, and I will say that I, you know, I've seen it myself that they are getting better. But I just think talent-wise, that this is UCF's uh, battle to win here. I think so, but it's not like UCF is invulnerable on defense. Um, again, last week we saw the safety Trey Neal have, you know, um, one of his, maybe his worst, I think it has to be his worst game of the season, taking it, and he's mostly been a steady hand, but, you know, we the secondary... He's not alone because the secondary had a number of failings resulting in just huge USF plays. I mean, Quinton Flowers, if, if there was a man, if there was a blown coverage last week, Quinton Flowers was taking advantage of. It. So, you know, there are some vulnerabilities there. Um, n- no doubt. I'm right there with you. If you if you're a Memphis fan and you watched last week, you should be not licking your chops, but feeling pretty good about what you saw last week because Quinton Flowers is not a passer. He's not a pass first quarterback. He's a run first quarterback, and he made UCF look pretty bad at times. And I mean, their leading receiver was uh, Tyree McCants had like 220 yards receiving. Most of them were pretty much in the first half, but McCann's isn't, isn't really a burner and he was wide open at times. And even the, the touchdown that tied it up, I don't remember who caught the ball, but it was Patches and Ski covering him downfield yeah. and he had like 15 and Ski and it wasn't even close. So if you're a Memphis fan and you watched last week, you should feel pretty good because Ferguson is a way better passer than Flowers is, and Memphis receivers are a million times better than anything USF has to offer. Uh, I'll add, a, you know, a, a sort of a counterpoint for my UCF guys out there who may be concerned about this. I don't think the situation is going to be nearly as bad as it was against USF, you know, in in part because I don't think, you know, 
I don't think, I just think the secondary is going to play better, but also because, you know, um, focus was on containing flowers. He's so mobile. And against Ferguson, that, you know, the Knights are going to have the opportunity to bring the heat a little more. And I think that'll help because I think we're going to get to Ferguson. That's fair. Ferguson's not as mobile. So I think that's, I, I was going to bring up too, yeah, that, Obviously, with Flowers, you have to make sure he's not running. And the strength of USF was running the ball. It has been all year. So I think they had the right game plan. It's just if you get if UCF gets into places with man coverage and Ferguson has time, it's not going to end well. Yeah, I think uh, just brought up a good point about how it is a completely different game plan where you're going against somebody who has the wheels that Flowers has, his mobility makes you have to play a different defense. It's almost like, I mean, almost the same argument that we've kind of had with Navy. You just know going into that game, you've just got to play your defense a little bit differently as you would do uh, other teams. UCF in this game, they know that uh, if it's a third down play, most likely they got to rush the quarterback. Like they don't have to worry about the threat of Ferguson really breaking the pocket. Uh, he might do it every now and then, but he's not the same as Flowers is where you're, I mean, if you're not paying attention where he is every second, next he'll be down the field 20 yards in no time. So I think that is a pretty good point there. So we've talked about Tony Pollard as, and I think we can just say this now, special teams player uh, for the country. I'll make that argument right now. So I think that that might be something that's a little bit in Memphis's advantage, the the special teams aspect of this. But it sounds like what we've really got this coming down to is basically uh, UCF's offense and whether or not Memphis's defense is going to be able to stop them. Just because I do feel like coming into this game that the way that Memphis has been scoring points as of late, it's going to be hard to stop them. So I really do feel like it's going to be one of those things as well. Is Memphis going to make the enough stops to make this a ball game? One thing I'm going to add, you brought up Pollard, is this might be the first game where special teams is vitally important because you don't want to kick the Mike Hughes either. We saw what happened last week. With- Both teams have spectacular special teams, but I think like we are in agreement that, that Pollard is just a freak. Uh, he's, I mean, he leads the the conference for sure. But I want to say he also leads the country in, in kick return yards. Yeah, so yep. like he, he's proved, and this is not just a one-year thing either. Uh, he was the the guy last year, too. We had him coming into this year. So the, the guy is special in space. Pollard is a special teams god. I mean, he is such a dangerous return man. You know, as, as much as I like Mike Hughes... Um, I mean, Pollard's the man. I mean, he's going to be playing at the next level for sure, even if it's just at as a as a returner. He's that good. I think I might be more upset if he doesn't get All-American kick returner, like first team, than UCF not being ranked higher. Both are pretty upsetting, but that that's, like, who else is better than him? Can you name another player? I mean, kick returner is not a highly coveted position, but... Not anymore, just because of how they're trying to get it out of football in general, yeah. Right, but, like, can you name another kick returner in the NCAA, like, in a power five? 
school that's like having a good year? No, not this year. Like last year, you could have had Christian McCaffrey with ease, but this year, or even no- Christian Kirk from Texas A&M. But like, yeah, but this year it hasn't. That hasn't been the case at all. There's no guy that's really stood out other than, and I guess we do have a little bias seeing how we are AAC guys. But I mean, Pollard has just. Like I said, and it doesn't seem like just on spell or special teams either. You give him the ball on offense in space, and the kid's just lightning fast. Yeah. Just lightning fast. As far as this game goes, you guys got anything else you want to harp on before we kind of keep it going here? Because we, of course, are running a lot longer than I thought we were going to go, but we have a lot to talk about, so it's good to talk. I'm hoping for an, another game just like last week. Same here. I mean, I think we know that the winner of this game is the representative in the uh, New York Six. I'm just hoping that, honestly, at this point, I really want to just see UCF run the table. It's one of those things where I love – I'm I'm a big Riley Ferguson fan. I don't know what his projection is for the next level just because the system's in college football, but I really do – think he's a great quarterback but it's just for me it's just one of those things for the sake of the conference let them go undefeated and get into that new year's six game and i hope whether it's tc or oklahoma i hope they go in there and just beat the hell out of them i think for our original argument that we started this podcast with i think ucf winning is just better for that argument right now just because if they don't win, then it's going to be like, well, why did we want UCF to get in if they can't even win their own conference? I think for the sake of the argument, it's we should want UCF to win, but I guess we'll see. What a coincidence, guys. I, I happen to agree that I'd like to see UCF run the table. I know you're shocked to hear it. Well, no, we expect that from you. <laughs> <laughs> totally expect that from you. But I feel like... like Take yourself, even if you are the person outside of the box. You know what I mean? Like, you want to see. Yes. To see the, I mean, so just kind of bring it back to where I've been going for weeks now. Like, if the G5 is not going to get a shot, I want them, to, if they're going to have that one shot in the New Year's Six game, to beat up on somebody, beat up on them. And I think the UCF, of, of all the G5's teams this year, that is the team to do it. Granted, I think Memphis, you put them against a lot of those teams, I think they could score a ton of points. It's just the same argument I made not too long ago. As the defense has improved, I don't know how they would fare against some of these Power 5 teams. Well, I'll tell you, if Memphis, you know, if I don't get the result I want, and Memphis takes the conference championship, and come bowl time, I'll, I'll be the biggest Memphis fan around hoping that they can take it to, you know, an Oklahoma or a whomever and, uh, you know, build some of this conference uh, reputation for us. I hope you're right. I think we all hope we're right for the sake of this conference. Joe, you got anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I guess uh, that's it for me. Uh, Joe, you got anything else you want to add before we let you go? No, I'm good. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for involving me with this. A lot of fun. Oh, we appreciate you coming on. It's always good. I mean, talking football with anybody, that's what makes this easy. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know, I could talk football with anybody anytime, and you definitely know your stuff. 
So like you said earlier, you've been around the longest. You're the veteran everybody <laughs> in this, out of this whole group here. It's I, I honestly feel bad that we've waited this long to get you on. No, we, well, you guys tried, but I've been difficult. So, you know, you're, you, you guys had invited me a few weeks ago, in fact, but we couldn't make it work. Um, so, so my pleasure to be on now. I mean, this, this is really the strongest that the site has been, um, since I've been a part of it. It's, we're putting out really great stuff. Alright, thanks again, guys. Be well. Thanks, Jazz. Thanks, Jazz. Right. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Bye now. Alright, we want to thank again Chaz for coming on. It was a pleasure to have him on and get the perspective from UCF and then again, Joey on the other line has been our main guy this season for Memphis, so I feel like that's kind of a perfect way to really end this show. Uh, I mean, that's really the only game we got this weekend, so we touched on everything you need to know about the AAC Championship game. Uh, Looking ahead to next week, we have some things that we're kind of in the works on. We're trying to plan ahead a little bit. Uh, We will hopefully maybe have our all-conference team selections by then. Uh, Hopefully not a coaching change, but we'll see what happens in the next uh, week or so. See if any teams get into bowl games prior to the whole official slate. I don't think comes out until the third, if I remember right. And then the main thing for our next episode, honestly, is we talked about coming in this year how we were going to do some Army talk. Yeah, we haven't done that. But we will do Army-Navy. We will be talking about that next week. I, I've said before, I live in the Maryland area, so I do get to watch Navy games. They've got some pretty sweet uniforms. You saw those, right, Joey? I did. Those look sweet. Those are some very sweet uniforms, so I am looking forward to seeing them rock those things. But again, uh, I guess that is it for this episode, uh, unless Joey's got something he wants to add. No, sir. All right, well, it's again, it's been a pleasure to bring on Chaz. The past couple of weeks, it's been a lot of fun to bring in a third voice. That way you're not sick of us two Joes. Um, but until next time, hope you guys enjoy that AAC championship game. Again, like I said earlier, I hope UCF gets this win and beats up on whether it's Oklahoma or TCU in that New Year's Six game. <laughs>